0: Give me the call letters. KCOU eighty-eight point one. Okay. Hey, this is Bob from Best Coast, and you're listening to KCOU eighty-eight
1: point one. Hello, 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 and welcome. To the analytics association on kcou 88.1 fm adam rosen is not in studio today so i have ben greenberger alongside me six feet apart ready to talk some sports we're gonna hit on a whole ton of topics today ben we're gonna hit on some baseball we're gonna hit on some basketball we're gonna hit on some football because it was a pretty good day in football yesterday as well so, so we're just in a whole range of topics. So, Ben, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me in. And there's there's so much to talk about. It's a it's a great time to be a sports fan right now. The Stanley Cup could end tonight, and we're not even going to touch on that. Um, and, yeah, it, everything's coming down to the wire. Three sports in playoffs, and the NFL had another fantastic week last week. Uh, it, it's a great time to be in sports media because there, there's so much t- material to hit on.
1: With everything that went on throughout the year, just not having sports, for for a good while there. Now suddenly having it all come together right now. It's a great time to be a sports fan. You hit on it exactly. NBA Finals coming up. Baseball playoffs starting up. MLB playoffs, and and it looks completely different this year. And then, of course, the NFL playing, NHL playing, as well as Stanley Cup Finals. Let's start with baseball, though, because baseball's looking absolutely different from years past. Eight teams from each league in the playoffs this year. Three-game series to open it up. And the regular season looked completely different, smaller sample sizes. I, I was. I read this one stat today. It was on uh, Jeremy Frank's Twitter. He came on our show earlier in the year. He uh, runs the Twitter MLB Random Stats, and he said, he pointed out, that the Pirates, all of their wins this year came against playoff teams because from the two central divisions, he had seven playoff teams, and they got swept by both the Royals and Detroit. So all of their wins this year didn't have a lot of them, but they came against playoff teams this year. So just an absolutely insane year. But let's dive into the playoffs now, because the playoffs are coming up. It's going to be a ton of fun. Three-game series. Anything can happen in those three-game series. You may see some good teams go down who maybe shouldn't go down in in larger series. So let's talk about that first, Ben. The three-game series, who does it favor? Who does it hurt? Which
0: teams generally have an advantage now because of this three-game series? So when it's such a small sample size, like you were saying, when it comes down to three games... It's really going to be about starting pitching, and I think teams that have those two front end of the rotation guys are going to have advantages over teams that don't, and I've highlighted four teams that I think, whether they had an advantage seeding-wise or not, that I think have have a distinct advantage because of the front end of the rotation starters. First, I highlight Cleveland, first and foremost. I think... Shane Bieber can steal a game, and I don't care if he's going against Garrett Cole. I really don't, because the season Shane Bieber is having, he's going to get AL MVP votes. He's going to be a runaway AL Cy Young winner. He won the pitching triple crown of wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Shane Bieber is having himself an absolute fantastic year. Cleveland is very hot going into the playoffs right now, and they have an advantage despite playing one of the best offenses in the MLB, I've also highlighted Cincinnati, Chicago White Sox, and the Tampa Bay Rays, all because of the front end of the rotation starters. Trevor Bauer obviously had a breakout year. Giolito and Keichel for the White Sox are having very quiet good years. I think they're going to finish both top 10 in Cy Young voting because they both did very well. And then Tampa Bay. It was a little inconsistent this year. Yes, they did get the top seed. A lot of that was because of their pitching. Snell, Glasnow and Morton are uh, slated to pitch in the three-game series in that order. And I don't think Toronto was going to give them much of a fight either way, but based on the front end of their their starting rotation, I don't think I don't think they're even going to need to get to Charlie Morton.
1: Yeah, not at all. I agree with you there. I was looking at the playoff uh earlier and Every single team seems to have above a 40% chance of winning their series. That's just what happens in a three-game series. But the Blue Jays have the lowest odds out of any team. They're right at that 40% mark. Tampa Bay, according to Fangraphs, has a 60% chance of winning that series. Another team I want to throw out there as having those 2 frontline guys and maybe falling off a little bit at the back end of their rotation this year is the Chicago Cubs as well, adding into those teams there. Chicago Cubs have Hugh Darvish, who's probably going to win the NL Cy Young this year. And then Kyle Hendricks coming in at number two. We've seen what he can do in the playoffs before in that 2016 run for the Cubbies. And coming into this year, the Cubs don't have the three, four, five guys like they have in the past. Mm -hmm. Lester's fallen off a cliff, per se. It looks like age has finally caught up to him. He's still the guy that's probably going to go in the playoffs for him. They have Alec Mills who threw a no-hitter earlier in the year, but he hasn't been crazy consistent. So that helps them out. That's only three-game series. They have to throw those two guys in there against the Miami Marlins and probably should come out with two games there to start the year. Let's jump back to the White Sox, though. The White Sox, in their last 10 games, they've played really good competition. We mentioned how many teams there are coming out of those central divisions, whether that's a product of them just playing each other and all playing around 500 ball, or if it's a product of those teams actually being very, very good. The Chicago White Sox are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. Does this concern you at all, Ben, with them coming into the postseason? Even though they have those 2 frontline starters, They're not hot, hot. They lost to the Indians. They've lost to the Cubs in their past few games. What are your thoughts on them at the moment?
0: It does worry me. It it worries me a fair amount. Like you said, they they end the game, they end the season, I should say, 10 games over 500. And in a 60-game stretch, no one's going to be complaining about that, especially for a team that had to break a little bit of a postseason drought just to get here. They have so much young talent on that team with Jimenez and uh, Nick Madrigal. And really, a lot of the guys through their order. Jose Abreu had a breakout season. I worry about their bullpen. I worry about their bullpen a lot. But the fact that they can go two and eight in their last ten games, they had, I believe, it was a three game lead in their division yep. coming into the last two games or two weeks of the season. I should say, Cleveland and Minnesota both caught up with them. They, the uh, White Sox and Indians, each finished a game back of the Twins. The Twins win their second straight AL Central crown. I think it's concerning because they got out to a hot start, which good for them. But when it comes down to crunch time, which when it when it comes to clinching a division and coming down the home stretch of the regular season, that's the first, quote unquote, pressure ball that they've had to play. Now, yes, in a 60 game season, all games mean more. But at the beginning of the season, they were just kind of playing their best ball. They were not a lot of pressure as things started to come down the stretch. That's where they started to falter. That does concern me. I, I do have a lot of question marks when it comes to the White Sox. I I think that they, because of their starting pitching, they should be okay to get by the A's. The A's had a very surprising season. The A's had themselves a year that I don't think a lot of people saw coming, especially when you're in a division with the Houston Astros. But I think the White Sox can get through them going past that. I, I have a lot of concerns about the White Sox. If you had asked me two weeks ago, I probably would have told you that's my World Series pick out of the American League. I don't think I can say that very confidently right now.
1: You just have to hope for that team, that that's not a regression to the mean because of the smaller sample size that we're seeing here at the end of the year. Just two weeks ago, me and, or just last week, I think it was, me and Adam were talking on the show about how the White Sox were the one seed coming out of the AL. They were the guys. We were in the exact same boat as you, Ben, thinking, these guys are legit, but they're still an extremely young team. They're right in the backs of the Luis Robert. They're right in the backs of Tim Anderson, who's a veteran, but still is a younger guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Jose Abreu has never seen significant postseason play before. So 100%, the Sox are still a young team with not a lot of postseason experience. Looking at who gets hurt by this three-game series to start the playoffs, with the Oakland Athletics, then, I think would be one of those teams, correct? Because they don't have that top-tier starting pitching they have to go up against the Chicago White Sox. Another team I'm going to throw out there that gets hurt by this is the San Diego Padres, who had a fantastic year this year. Really broke out, finally back in the playoffs for that team. And now, just at the end of the year, their top two starters are looking like they might not be able to play in that wild card series. Mike Clevenger just went out with bicep soreness. Lamette had the same exact injury and Diedelton Lamette. He he came out this year and was fantastic. He broke out hard. Yep. 100% a sub three ERA. Well under three 0.86 whip for him. So he's he not giving up a whole lot of hits, not giving up a lot of whole, a lot of walks. Not a lot of people get are getting on base against them, but possibly might not have those guys for the first two games of this series. Do the Padres have enough offense to sustain production? What do you think Ben?
0: Well, I think this series comes down a lot more to the Cardinals than it does the Padres and the fact of the matter is the Cardinals Have a lot of problems scoring runs and While the Padres may not have their top guys going It's it's not as big of a worry for me at the beginning because of the offensive struggles of the st. Louis Cardinals this season the Cardinals scored 240 runs in the National League The teams who scored fewer runs than them are the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates. As we highlighted, the Pirates only won 19 games. The Reds had some offensive struggles. In the American League, the teams that scored less runs than the St. Louis Cardinals were the Texas Rangers. Okay, the Texas Rangers and Pittsburgh Pirates each finished with the worst records in their respective leads. The the Reds are a playoff team. They had a little bit of a strange season. They ended actually with a negative run differential. But the Cardinals do not have the offense to sustain a three-game playoff series. They've been shut out three times in the last week, and that's having to play ball to get into the playoffs. This is crunch time for the St. Louis Cardinals. They kind of backed their way in. They needed a win on the last day of the regular season against the Brewers. Yes, the Cardinals play two fewer games than everyone else in the major leagues because of their 16-day a little bit of a hiatus there in uh, early August because of coronavirus concerns. I don't think the Padres are going to have a whole lot of trouble with St. Louis here. I think Chris Paddock is plenty good enough to go out there. Jack Flaherty has been shaky. If we see the Jack Flaherty of last year, 100% I'm saying, okay, now the Padres really got to buckle down. The fact that Flaherty has been a two, maybe three starter. Adam Wainwright is inconsistent. Dakota Hudson is now out for the season. Carlos Martinez has been extremely shaky I, I don't really see the Cardinals as a playoff, playoff team. They're two games above 500. If they had played a full 30-game schedule, they might have finished exactly at 500. And I, I think the Padres' concerns would be down the line because if they win, they likely have a date with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is a problem for anybody. But the, the San Diego Padres finished with the second-best record in the National League for a reason. And that's because they have what it takes, specifically offensively, with Tatis, Hosmer, Machado. Tatis and Machado probably each going to get some NL MVP votes. They kind of got the short end of the stick with how the seeding works, with the fact that they have the second-best record in the league but dropped down to the four seed, which then, after a first-round win and assuming the Dodgers win, those two play each other. The Padres, if they were coming out of the bottom half of that bracket, I think run through it. But as it stands, I I think they they need to be looking at second round right now, and I don't think they should be rushing either of those guys back, specifically Lamette, like you were saying, because they're going to have their hands full with L.A. And talking
1: about L.A., so their first series comes against the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Milwaukee Brewers are a team that got into the playoffs under 500. So looking at contenders and pretenders, they probably shouldn't be there. Definitely shouldn't be there. If you're looking over a course of the full season, but, but this year they just happened to get in. They snuck in, uh, in those last couple of days, played against the Cardinals for five games to finish the year. And they still were able to get in, even with not scraping out a ton of wins in that series. Looking they, at they, the, lost,
0: they lost three out of five. Exactly. They, they clinched yep. their postseason berth on a loss. Yep. They ended up with the same record as the San Francisco Giants, and they just happened to uh, squeak in based on the tiebreaker.
1: So looking at the Dodgers, I brought up those fan graph odds earlier for who's who has the best odds to win the World Series. The only team above 9.5%. So the Braves have a 10% chance to win the World Series. The Dodgers are the next highest team at 20%. So they they are, like, levels Nighting above day. the competition. It's Nighting not day. even close. Are we just completely writing off the Milwaukee Brewers at this point in this series? Is it definitely going to be a Dodgers, or are we going to see some something happen, some magic here in this three-game stretch that they're going to play against each other?
0: I mean, I'm personally writing them off. The Dodgers won 43 out of 60 games. That is a ridiculous stat. When you take that winning percentage, which is a 71.7 winning percentage, you take it into 162 games, you get 117 wins. Okay? 117 wins would be second most in Major League history. That's a ridiculous stat. Obviously, you know, you have injuries. They're, it's tough to keep up that level of consistency. I get it. But they didn't have to. It was a 60-game sprint. Everybody had the same schedule, and they went and they, they got it done. The Brewers... Christian Yelich is not having an MVP season, and they don't really have anything in the order behind him. Ryan Braun is old. Obviously, old Garcia, they brought him in. He's been okay. Daniel Vogelback has not been nearly what they were hoping he would be. I think the Dodgers have a cakewalk into the second round. I think that... The Rich got richer this offseason with the addition of Mookie Betts. Everyone knew it going in, and they really haven't disappointed in any way. They won their division by six games, and like we said, the Padres ended with the second-best record in the league. This is a ridiculous team. They ended with a plus-136 run differential. That's more than double the second-best team in the league. They're they're night and day above everybody. They've won eight out of their last ten games. They're 12 games above five hundred at home, 14 games above 500 on the road. And yeah, I, I, I am discounting the Milwaukee Brewers. Sorry, Brewers fans, but right now it's, it's not looking good for you.
1: Coming up in that series too, they have to face Walker Bueller in game one and Clayton Kershaw who got moved to game two. That's two fantastic pitchers. For that Dodgers team, and that's just scary. If you have to go up against that offense, that pitching, you have to assume with Kershaw and Bueller on the mound, you're probably not putting up more than three, four runs at the most, at the maximum against those guys. And
0: in and that order, there is no one you can pitch around no. because the next guy coming up might win an MVP next year. You never know. It's, it's ridiculous the order they put together. Like I said, the, the rich got richer, and now it's just time for them to go prove it. All right, three-game series.
1: Which ones are we looking forward to? Which games do we want to watch all three? Obviously, we want to watch all three and all of them. But which games do we really want to key in on here? I'll go first for the series that I want to see, Astros-Twins. I'm so excited to see that series. That's two pretty high-powered offenses still. The Astros are kind of the team to hate this year just based on their entire cheating scandal and everything that they've done, everything that's come out about them recently. Astros are the team to hate. Twins are kind of a team to love. They have the offense. They have some pitching. And you got to love the Twinkies. So I'm looking forward to that series. Maeda versus Granky in game one, two very similar pitchers. You've got two older guys who have playoff experience. I I can't wait to see that matchup. Both their rotations fall off a little bit after that, but they're still pretty good. It's going to be an interesting series for sure. And then bringing it back to the NL as well. Other series we were talking about, that San Diego-St. Louis series, of course. But let's talk about that Braves-Reds series a little bit more, unless you want to hit on the Astros, too, because I think everybody wants to hit on the Astros a little bit.
0: Well, I, I, I think I am looking forward to that series. I think that should definitely be an interesting one. The thing that just worries me, and I say worries from, a, uh, from an unbiased perspective, obviously I would love to see the Astros lose mm-hmm. this year, But if I'm looking at it straight down the middle, the Astros were 9-23 and on the road this year. They will not play a single game at their home ballpark because the best of three series are being played at the home ballpark of whichever team is the higher seed. In this case, it's Minnesota. And then after the first round of three, they go into a bubble format. Houston will not see Minute Maid Park for the rest of 2020. That's a massive concern when you only have nine wins away from uh, AT&T all season long. I do think Minnesota has—they went on a great run to end up capturing the division from the White Sox and the Indians. But yes, I would agree with you um, that Cincinnati-Atlanta has a ton of intrigue, and I I would love to get some of your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, so for Cincinnati and Atlanta, if we're looking at teams that might have got the short end of the stick in these three-game series— I think Atlanta's 100% one of them. You just look at the season that they put together. They they definitely deserve to be there. We, everybody thought they were going to be there coming in. They did. They produced. They did exactly what they needed to do to get there. And now they face Bauer and Castillo in games one and two. And Bauer's had a phenomenal year. He, he's just over 1.7 ERA. He's looking absolutely fantastic. As you said, a breakout year. But this was a breakout year a lot of people have seen coming. Just based on Trevor Bauer's work ethic, everybody thinks it's a little weird. But he gets the job done, and he improves on a yearly basis. Now the Braves have to see that in games one, game one, and then Castillo's an all-star last year in game two. That's a tough series for them. I know the offense is there, but the Reds could be a sleeper candidate not only to win that series, but I think come out of that bottom half of the bracket there and take down the Cubs... Or the Marlins, whoever comes out of that, assuming it's the Cubs, but Cubs or Marlins, especially if they get the Marlins, I think they're a sleeper there to move all the way to the NLCS.
0: 100% agreed with you. I actually have Trevor Bauer as my NL Cy young pick. I know you homers over here like you, Darvis. <laughs> that's fine. Pick whatever you want. I think they both had fantastic seasons, and I don't think you can really go wrong giving it to either one of them. But yes, I think Atlanta... They went out and added Marcelo Zuna in the offseason, and he just casually leads the National League in home runs and RBIs. Freddie Freeman's putting together a potential NL MVP candidate, and you obviously have Ronald Acuna just sitting there, who he can change a series at the flip of a switch. Atlanta wins their division comfortably. But yes, I think Cincinnati is a fantastic sleeper pick. I think they have a lot of the same characteristics that the Nationals did a year ago. And Atlanta has playoff struggles in recent memory. They had a much better team than the Cardinals did last season And they choked it in five games. I think Cincy Bauer needs to go out and pitch them To a game one victory people love to hate Trevor Bauer because he's so outspoken about the Astros and he he's out there Screaming on the mounds and he's trying to wear, you know Instigative things on his cleats. I think that's hilarious. I love that and he could go out there and shut Atlanta down, but I. so much of this is going to be left up to chance because of the fact that so many people are playing teams that they have not played a single time this season because of how the, the two divisions, uh, the AL and the NOS, the AL and the NL Central, the AL and NL East, all came together. The only matchup of teams that have already played each other this year is Tampa Bay-Toronto, and we kind of highlighted that as a series that we think is basically over before it starts. Cincinnati-Atlanta, Houston-Minnesota, Miami-Chicago-Cubs, Chicago-White Sox-Oakland-A's, Cardinals-Padres, Yankees-Indians, Brewers-Dodgers. None of those teams have played each other a single time this year. I think that makes for an incredibly unpredictable series coming up. And that's why I'm going to be watching every single game of every single uh, series. This, this I, I cannot explain how excited I am for tomorrow.
1: 100%. And I have Adam texting me on the side right now, He's who's usually on with us during this show. He pointed out some stats. Darvish has thrown more innings than Bauer, talking about that Cy Young debate a little bit. Has a 3.00 war compared to Bauer, 2.5 on the thing that Adam sent me here, while Bauer does have a better ERA at 1.73 compared to Darvish's 2.5. Oh, one. Can't really go wrong picking your Cy Yun there with those two guys. So we're going to take a quick break. We've talked a lot of baseball. We'll move on to the NBA and some breaking news that just came in about five minutes ago. Doc Rivers out as Clippers head coach. That was a Woj bomb just dropped a couple of minutes ago here. So we'll include that in our NBA discussion. But we're going to head to a quick break right here. Jack McGrath, Ben Greenberger on the Analytics Association on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm jumping in. With my
0: clothes on! Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I want my teenage son to be thinking how to deal with life's stresses and natural changes. I want to know how to talk to him about things he'll experience as he builds relationships. I want him to know I'm there for him. I just don't know how. Here is a resource
1: that can get you started. Connect with me activity cards have been developed to help begin the discussions. Visit health.mo.gov/connect to access these free cards
0: and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. A Ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and smokey bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good.
1: Bear hug from
0: Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Looking for something that smashes sports content and video game content together into one big late-night radio sandwich? Listen to Quarter Circle Backboard, a show in which your boy Chris Mitchell brings you the latest and hottest in sports news that you like and video game news that I like every Friday night at 11 p.m. on KCOU. I talk about everything from football to basketball to Street Fighter to Fallout to you name it. Is the worst thing up past your bedtime? Tune in and find out. KCOU shirts are now on sale at Mod Vintage in downtown Columbia. I'll say it again in case you missed it. KCOU t-shirts are now on sale at Mod Vintage in downtown Columbia. Alright, one more time, just wanted to make sure you heard. Turn up the volume on your radios for a quick second. KCOU t-shirts now on sale at Mod Vintage. So why are you still listening to the radio? You should be going to- wait, actually, no. Keep, keep listening. But also, the t-shirts are pretty cool. I, I think you should get them. We good? KCOU would like to shout out Eastside Cavern. It's the bar that's bizarre, downtown Columbia's best karaoke comedy club. With a huge selection of drinks and activities and themed nights every week, Eastside is a solid place to hang out.
1: back to the analytics association on kcou 88.1 fm jack mcgrath with ben greenberger filling in for adam rosen and we are here to talk sports again we just wrapped up our major league baseball conversation and now we're moving in to some basketball nba finals are officially set it's the heat it's the lakers but guess what that other la team is stealing the storylines at the moment at least doc rivers out as head coach of the los angeles clippers A little bit of a surprise there, but maybe not really just based on how he's never been able to perform in the playoffs, but now it's official with Kawhi, with Paul George, wasn't able to get it done against the Denver Nuggets, blew a 3-1 lead, one of the only coaches to do that multiple times in his career, and it happened this year, and it looks like the Clippers front office isn't going to take that anymore, not not an acceptable level of success for a team that was picked to win the NBA Finals this year. So Doc Rivers out as head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. All right, moving on. Miami Heat, Los Angeles Lakers. I I don't want to pat myself on the back here, but I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I did call this in February that the Heat would go there. You
0: you deserve this. You deserve (laughs) this.
1: (laughs) We'll play the clip once I get it fully right. I think in February I said that the Heat would would lose to the Lakers in a seven-game series. Now I kind of want the Heat to win because I like the Miami Heat now. But still... I called it. Pat on the back for me. Let's talk about what they're going to actually do in this series now, instead of looking at the past prediction. Do the Heat actually have a chance against the Los Angeles Lakers?
0: Plain and simple, yes. And I, I think that they match up fairly well with them. I, I actually think Heat Nuggets would have been one of the better NBA finals that we've seen in recent memory. I think those two teams match up ridiculously well. Yes, the Heat are. At a disadvantage, but no, they will not. It's it's not a complete mismatch. I don't think the Lakers win in four. I don't think the Lakers win in five as they have done in each of the previous three playoff series. But yes, the the Heat have certainly proven that they deserve to be here. They're not a, silent, uh, a Cinderella run to the finals where they're just going to get swept and they're just glad to be here. I do think they're going to give the Lakers a run for their money, and I do think this is going to be an entertaining series. Well, you talk about a team that's not going to just be glad to be there. The Miami Heat have sh-
1: all year, that they are that team that's going to go out and get it. They, they know nothing's been given to them. They're the team that's had to work hard to be there. I mean, with Jimmy Butler leading it, there's clips coming back up about his time with the Timberwolves about how it didn't work out because there wasn't a winning culture around him. There wasn't guys who were team focused, and now there's guys who are team focused and focused solely on winning for the team, and it's working superbly. Speaking of that matchup, Jimmy Butler is leading the Heat who have a really deep team around him. It's not just Jimmy Butler because every single guy on that team can go off on any given night. We saw it with Tyler Hero leading the team in game six. Looking at that series, though, so Jimmy Butler is one of those few guys that can probably, he's not going to contain LeBron James. Nobody can contain LeBron James, but he can at least slow down slightly LeBron James. If you look at. Jimmy Butler versus LeBron James in their career, the series is tied in games one. Jimmy Butler's won 17 games when he's gone up against LeBron James. LeBron James has won 17 games when he's gone up against Jimmy Butler. That being said, it's a little bit of a different story in the playoffs. In the regular season, Jimmy Butler's winning that series 14-9. to 9. In the playoffs, it's LeBron has an advantage 8-3. That's because, you know, playoff LeBron's different than regular season LeBron.
0: Playoff LeBron's different than anything. Any, exactly,
1: exactly. So one of those guys that might be able to slow him down. And as you said, they match up. Well, I think the Heat are probably a little bit deeper than the Los Angeles Lakers in general. You look from one to eight on that team, one to nine on that team, and you're thinking you're pretty confident in putting those guys in there. I mean, we saw against the Celtics, Jimmy Butler sat out in the last minute of the game when they were down just because Bolster was confident enough going with the other guys to go get quick points as well. The Los Angeles Lakers, though, they have the superstars, LeBron and Davis, and speaking of LeBron James, going to his 10th NBA Finals, he's now in top in the top three for most NBA Finals appearances. Right now, he's three and six in the NBA Finals. That's been his biggest deterrent on his resume from being named the top player of all time. If he wins this game, this series, not the game, the series, obviously, mm. if he wins the NBA Finals, does he overtake Jordan? That's the question I'm posing to you, Ben, because is it, possible that he overtakes Jordan yes I'm not sure he does at that point be four and six in the finals ten finals appearances is hard to do nine appearances in the last ten years is even harder to do he just missed one year and that was last year does he overtake Jordan if he happens to win this series
0: yeah that's I I do like that question and I do think that this win could do a lot for LeBron's legacy but I don't think this would be quote-unquote the top of the top for LeBron's resume builders. I actually think some of those finals losses are more impressive for LeBron James than taking a team like the Lakers and winning it. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but he is surrounded by a lot of talent right now. Yes. He leads them night in and night out. Yes. He's the most consistent and dominant force on that team. But when you look at some of the Cavaliers teams that he dragged behind him to the finals and then got demolished by golden state, I would say that LeBron had to do more in those instances. So while I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, I know Adam's not going to like this sitting at home. Adam, I'm going to apologize now. I don't think the question is, does LeBron winning overtake <laughs> Jordan? I think does it widen the gap even more? Wow. And I don't think that it's night and day. I don't think that LeBron is by far and away the best player in the history of NBA. I will never say that. I think what Michael Jordan did is incredible, but... I just I and we could have this debate for the rest of the show and I know a lot of people have and I don't think that's that's really where we're going here. I just think what they could be able to do with the weapons around them. I think LeBron right now has has such an amazing amount of talent right now that this this finals that he is a fav- that he is favored to win is Going to go on his resume, his fourth Finals win, his third different team that he wins in NBA Finals for, I think it's just another another trophy in his case. I don't think it's a career-defining moment for him.
1: No, I, I would agree with you there. I don't know if it's a career definer for LeBron James. I, I think it does help him in the debate, though, if people are detracting from him based on his Finals record. And that's if he fair. Can push and that, that's fair. If he can push that within a couple of games of 500, I mean, if he was 500 in the Finals, if this makes... If he were to pull out one more finals win earlier in his career, then we'd be talking, oh, he's moving to 5-5 five and five in the finals. Th- then he's definitely up there. And, and I agree with you there. I, th- I think LeBron definitely has a case to overtake Jordan. I, I Once again, we're not going to have this debate the whole show because yeah. it gets talked about way too much. Way too much. But So we'll just move on at, at that one. So LeBron in the finals with the Lakers. And talking about those pieces that he's had before, though, I was just reading about how it's not a typical thing for LeBron to be favored in an NBA finals with the team that he had. You mentioned one of those Cavs teams. And one of those Cavs teams, he won two games with his second-best players being Matthew Vadova and Tristan Thompson on the court because Kevin Love and Kyrie were hurt. So he's definitely had his struggles. He's definitely had to lead much worse teams. And now he's got Anthony Davis. He's got a great supporting cast around him. So looking pretty good for LeBron going into the finals there, but should be a fantastic series with those hard fight fighting heat, who, as you said, match up pretty well against basically everybody. Let's move on. Let's talk some football now because we had a great week of football last week. It was entertaining. It was exciting. We saw some absolutely fantastic games. Some that I'm really excited to talk about because I was so excited watching them. Let's talk first about the Bears and the Falcons which had a ton of storylines coming out of it whether the quarterback play, the Falcons blowing the lead, the Bears offense turning it on in the second half, which Bears offense turning it on is always a storyline cuz it doesn't happen very often. Let's start off with the Falcons blowing a 16-point lead after they blew a lead against the Vikings against the Cowboys, excuse me, blew a lead against the Cowboys the week before. Falcons haven't been able to close games why can't the Falcons close games out? It, it's just been bad. I mean, you look all the way back to the Patriots Super Bowl when they couldn't close it out, and now it just seems like a recurring theme. It's a joke at this point, how they can't close out a game.
0: It's it's baffling at this point, and it's, it's almost to the point that Atlanta seems to know it's coming because <laughs> they get up huge. And the play calling starts to shift just a little bit. I'm not gonna say this is all on Dan Quinn I don't think Dan Quinn is orchestrating these massive comeback failures, but There clearly is a theme here and there there's clearly It's not an isolated incident anymore where last week's game against the Cowboys. It was like Wow, you guys were up that much at one point you had a 99.2% chance. I believe it was to win the game and Your special teams can't recover an onside kick and you go down and you lose on the road. But to do it in your home building, whether there are fans there or not, against a quote-unquote backup quarterback when you had a 99.3% chance to win in the fourth quarter and then after you gave up the lead, it wasn't like the Cowboys game where... Field goal, wins it, game over. You got the ball back. You had 100%. a chance yep. to go down there and maybe reverse the storyline Kind of like Josh Allen did. And I know we're going to hit mm-hmm. on that. Yep. Josh Allen and his team blew a massive lead, but they got the ball back and were able to make it all okay. And we're talking about them. Like Buffalo is a fantastic team today, which by the way, Buffalo is a fantastic team. But Atlanta couldn't get it done. And even after everything that bad that had happened, Matt Ryan had the chance to go down and silence everybody. And he wasn't able to do it. The Falcons are... One of the most talented 0 three teams that this league has seen in a very long time. They were the most talented 0 and two team, and I don't know what the heck they do going forward. What I do know is they have a Monday night matchup with the Packers in Lambeau next week. High scoring
1: game there. We <laughs> might see two, we might they might combine for a hundred points in that game based on how those two offenses oh, are
0: playing. Hammer the over right now, but. <laughs> All I know is a night game in Lambeau is not the recipe for reversing an 0-3 season.
1: And, and talking about that play calling for the Falcons. So the Falcons had the ball up 10 at the 6 six ten mark in the fourth quarter. Six minutes and 10 seconds left in the game. They had the ball twice between that mark and, and the two-minute mark. So they had two separate possessions, two separate drives. Bears didn't use a timeout in those drives. So remember the Falcons are up 10. Bears mm. don't use a timeout. There's less than six minutes to go. The Falcons held the ball for a total of one minute and 22 seconds. Didn't turn the ball over. Just held the ball for one minute and 22 seconds. Only ran the ball twice. They threw the ball three times when they were up by a field goal with under four minutes to go in the game, and they kept on throwing the ball. That's not the way to go if you're the Atlanta Falcons. You cannot play with a lead like that. They signed Todd Gurley for a reason, and now Todd Gurley at the end of games is just completely phased out of their offense. They were using Brian Hill at the end of the game. It was just an odd sequence for the Atlanta Falcons. It didn't make sense. They they basically, I you weren't going to say it, but I'll say it. I think the play calling blew the game on that one. It, it, it was not a great, great end for them at all.
0: Not when even I'm, close. When I'm looking at it here, Atlanta is up 26-10, to 10, as we said, and they punt the ball to Chicago. Chicago goes three and out. Okay. From that point on, Atlanta, three plays, they gained five yards, punt. They ran three plays. They gained one yard. Punt. They ran three plays. They lost five yards. Punt. And then after all those possessions, by the way, Chicago goes down in scores. Your defense isn't able to keep them out the scoreboard at all. And then you're down by four. You run four plays. You throw a pick, and it's all over with. Your last four drives of the game, you ran a total of 13 plays, and you gained less than 30 yards total. It's terrible from the <laughs> wow from the end of the third quarter to the beginning or sorry from the beginning of the fourth quarter till the end of the game, you couldn't gain more than twenty yards and you lost a game where you were winning by sixteen points I, Yeah, there's I I know that Dan Quinn's head is going to be called for. And honestly, he's running out of ways he could possibly defend himself. And he's, no, they didn't have Julio Jones, but they had, clearly they had more than enough offensive weapons to win the game and they couldn't do it. Right now, Dan Quinn's on his way out. 100%. I agree with you there. Let's talk about
1: the team on the other side of the ball who was moving it really well in the second half of the game. Maybe not as much in the first half. Bears switched quarterbacks, officially named Nick Foles the starter for next week. Mitch Trubisky took a seat on the bench. Nick Foles came in through three touchdown passes. Looked absolutely fantastic. He could have had number four on a 50-50 call in the end zone, whether it was an interception or a touchdown. Allen Robinson and the defender both came down with the ball. It's one of those calls where you have to see if he maintained possession through the ground. They ruled Allen Robinson did not. Mike Pereira, the officiating expert that they have in the booth there, said it should have been a touchdown. So really a toss-up call there. He didn't get it. Another touchdown could have happened. Anthony Miller dropped the ball in the end zone uh, on a catch that he probably should have had if you're an NFL receiver. But it was a tough catch, one that he could have had. So Nick Foles just absolutely tore up the the Falcons' defense overall. He was making some risky throws. He threw one ball that went through a defender's hands. But overall, Nick Foles played really well. Is that more of a product of Nick Foles actually maybe possibly being a legitimate, really good quarterback in this Bears offense? Or is it a product of the Atlanta Falcons' defense just absolutely choking the game at the end of it?
0: Yeah, that's a very loaded question. And I think (laughs) it speaks more to Nick Foles than it does to the Falcons' offense. But I... I'm hesitant to say that it's a long term solution because in his career, what Nick Foles absolutely thrives in is being a quarterback off the bench. It's how he has a Super Bowl ring and he comes off the bench in the middle of the game and he absolutely tears it up. As you said, he ends with a a rating of ninety five point two. And I looked it up. If that 50 50 ball that. You think should have been a touchdown. I think should have been a touchdown. Mike Pereira, who gets paid to talk about this stuff, thinks it should have been a touchdown. If that interception turns into a touchdown, his rating goes up to 100.7. In three, not even three full quarters of play, he throws for 188 yards, what could have been four touchdowns. Like you said, could have been five touchdowns. Nick Foles does well under pressure. They play Indianapolis next week. And the Bears have yet to put four quarters of football together. They had a fantastic fourth quarter against Detroit. They had a great first half against the Giants and then kind of just scooted their way to a victory. Can't say it looked all that that impressive. And then they put up 20 points in the fourth quarter in this game and shut the door, and suddenly they're 3-0. and And the Bears have not been 3-0 and for seven years. Do I think that they are kind of finding what they need to do for each specific game and they're winning games in different ways. Yes, do I think Nick Foles is has solved all their problems and the Bears are a you know are going to be up there competing with the Packers for the division. Talk to me after next week.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And you look at that matchup against the Colts next week, that's gonna be a defensive battle, one hundred percent. The Bears defense has shown they're pretty good. I haven't been to the level we saw two years ago, but still are looking pretty great defensively. Cleo Mac is his Cleo Mac is always, and akeem hicks is second in the league in sacks right now, as well. And that Colts defense has just been absolutely insane. So looking at those games, Packer Saints was another game we saw last night on Sunday night. We were talking earlier, just going to a complete opposite because the Packers game will be a shootout next week. Is something we were talking about, Packers Falcons. But they played the Saints last night in what was turned out to be a really good football game. There was talks that Drew Brees didn't look like, looked like he might be past his prime. He got some help from Alvin Kamara last night, 100%, improved his stat line a ton. Let's talk about Alvin Kamara. I'm jumping all over the place right now, but let's talk about Alvin Kamara because he was something that caught my eye, and I think he deserves our focus right now. Absolutely insane last night, some of the runs he made, running behind blockers running in front of blockers he was pacing his runs well and we saw that on that one reception that was over 50 yards where he just it was a screen he ran and deserved that extension that he got because he's playing absolutely fantastically right now.
0: Yeah, and it seems like Alvin Kamara is such a versatile guy. He can do whatever you need him to do. When Michael Thomas is in that offense and, and they're at full capacity and they have all the weapons that they have on their team at their disposal, Alvin Kamara can, can sit in that backfield and he can run behind blockers and he can catch the occasional pass out of the backfield. And it's why the Saints are year in, year out one of the best offenses In the league. But then Michael Thomas goes out, and Alvin Kamara does not care at all. He says, Okay, I'll be a big part of the passing game now. Latavius Murray got twice as many carries as Kamara because he was in on most of the rushing downs. Kamara casually gets 13 receptions for 139 yards and two touchdowns. He had more receptions than Emmanuel Sanders, Tracon Smith, Jared Cook, and Latavius Murray combined. And he was the thorn in the Packers' side all night long. Yeah, the Saints were not able to pull it out. Aaron Rodgers continues to be a late-game manager and, and a crusher of good defenses. The Saints are now 1-2. But they're a really impressive one and two, and they are certainly something to watch out for, specifically when Michael Thomas gets back. They play at the Lions next week. That should be a blowout win, although the Lions had a surprising win of their own. So you never really know, but you no, know, I was very impressed with New Orleans. I'm Constantly blown away by the versatility, versatility. Excuse me, of Alvin Kamara, and I think this Drew Brees thing is a little overblown. Everyone's arm gets gets weaker as they get older. Tom Brady's arm is weaker than it was five years ago. Aaron Rodgers' arm is weaker than it was five years ago. These guys are still putting work in and getting work done, and I think everyone needs to just calm down a little bit. Brees threw for three touchdowns and 288 yards last night. A rating of 127.8. Let's chill.
1: Yeah, 100%. If you're giving me a list of quarterbacks of who I'm going to trust with my season, with my team, Drew Brees is going to make that list nine times out of 10, 100%. He's a guy you have to go with. Let's move on, talk about another quarterback, a younger guy who definitely has a strong arm. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills had a really good day yesterday. They almost blew the game, but they were able to hold it still we were talking about those people that came down and won the game on their drives Josh Allen did what Matt Ryan couldn't and won the Buffalo Bills the game late in that game Buffalo Bills look really good right now and the Rams are a pretty good team as well maybe not as scary as they were a couple years ago but I think they're definitely scarier than they were last year I think the Rams are starting to figure it out put it together again but the Bills I think are finally putting it together as well Josh Allen had a huge day and that was just a really good game. the The Rams coming back in that one. It was the day of comebacks, I guess. Yesterday with the Rams, with the Bills, and then with the Bears and the Falcons.
0: Yeah, that was that was just an incredible game. Falcons, uh, Bears, and Rams, Bills. They were happening at the same time, basically. The yep. the Bears and the and the Rams were both just going on an absolute tear at almost the exact same time. And yeah, the Bills from the kickoff to eight minutes to go in the third quarter looked like a Super Bowl contender. They were winning 28 to three. Everybody was getting involved in the offense, but specifically Josh Allen. And then. From that eight-minute mark to go in the third quarter to the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, the Rams just absolutely went on a tear. They scored 29 straight points. They showed why they were in the Super Bowl two years ago. They showed that they don't need Todd Gurley. They can really rush with anybody behind that offensive line. And Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were making Jared Goff look like an MVP candidate. And the fact that you can have those two game scripts just completely flipped on their head Back-to-back back and in the same game makes it just such such an entertaining contest. I don't know if you saw it. Did, did you see the pass interference that the Bills got on fourth down? I think I did, but why don't you describe it here? So it was, uh, I believe there were 25, 26 seconds to go. The Bills had fourth and eight on the Rams 25 yard line, about and uh, the Bills. I, I don't think it was Stefan Diggs, I think it was their uh, one of their other receivers. I honestly, it's I'm drawing a blank right now, but he was running a slant and near the top of his route as he's about to break, there is contact with the Rams defensive back. However, it looked really iffy as to who initiated the contact, whether there was contact while the ball was in the air at all. The Bills got the uh, benefit of a a really iffy pass interference call. Obviously, it was fourth down. The pass did go incomplete, and so the game would have been over with. They get the ball at the spot of the foul, which ended up being at uh, about the four of the five, and Josh Allen throws the game-winning touchdown on the very next play. And unlike, you know, um, Falcons-Bears or some of the other games that we talked about, they scored with 15 seconds to go. It's not like Jared Goff had had any sort of way to answer. Josh Allen put an exclamation point on that game, and and it was over with. And he ended the day with five touchdowns. He throws one pick that, that the Bills were able to get out of. 311 yards. He was spreading it all around. Cole Beasley is his first 100-yard receiving game as a member of the Buffalo Bills. 3-0, and and they are looking very scary right now. And talking about Josh Allen,
1: this season— at the moment, he has a 124.8 passer rating, which, to give you a reference point, last year he had an 85.3 passer rating. So he's playing phenomenally right now. He's playing out of his mind. He has over 1,000 yards through three games. He had only 3,000 yards last year, so if he keeps up this pace, he's going to go way above that Obliterated. number. Obliterate And he has 10 touchdowns already. He, he's on pace for 50 touchdowns. He's not going to get there. Obviously, there's going to be regression, but he's playing out of his mind, out of this world right now. Josh Allen is looking like an MVP candidate, not even to mention his completion percentage is 71.1%. And It's not like it's just that he had one really good game. He's gone 72.7%, 68.6%, and 71.7% in terms of completion percentage across the board. So Josh Allen at the moment is looking like a top-tier QB. This is his third year. Could be the breakout year for him right here.
0: He, he has some problems. Sometimes he needs to learn how to throw the ball away a little bit. Sometimes he tries to do a little too much. And the announcers were talking about it on the game yesterday. But the Bills have two really interesting games coming up on the schedule because they go on the road for the next two in Las Vegas. And we've seen how the Raiders played in their one game in Las Vegas so far. And then at Tennessee. Tennessee and the Bills week five that could be a battle of undefeated teams. There are both ground and pound teams I think Tannehill versus Allen and Singletary versus Derrick Henry that could be an incredibly entertaining game But this Bills schedule is a tough one. They still have to face the Chiefs the Seahawks the Steelers to go along with the Patriots twice It's going to be a long road for them, but I do think they have put themselves in a really good position to try and make a run of this division. And you mentioned the Chiefs there. Let's talk about the Chiefs
1: a little bit before we have to hop off because they're playing tonight against the Baltimore Ravens, which is a matchup I've been looking forward to all week. We didn't get to see that in the AFC Championship last year when I think everybody was kind of hoping that would be the AFC Championship matchup. Didn't get to see it. And now Lamar versus Mahomes. It was a fantastic game last year in a shootout. Mark Ingram had three touchdowns in that game. Mark Ingram's there again, and the Ravens' rushing attack looks as good as ever with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards as well. And then Lamar Jackson's doing Lamar Jackson things. Patrick Mahomes didn't look like Patrick Mahomes exactly at points last week, but he's still doing Patrick Mahomes things. Should be a really great game tonight.
0: Yeah, the, anytime the last two league MVPs get together for a battle, sign me up. The Ravens right now come in at three and a half point favorites and ESPN gives them a 60% chance to win. I think that's a little generous. I think this game is going to be extremely even. It's a, a, a battle of the best rushing attack in the league, which is Lamar and Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and really anyone they choose to use against the best passing attack in the league. I think this is a really, really good matchup. Andy Reid and John Harbaugh each have their teams playing at really high levels. And this would not be surprising if this is not the first time we get to see these teams match up this year. As you said, we didn't get to see it in the AFC championship game last year. We could easily see it in the AFC championship game this year.
1: And you talked about that line, the three-and-a-half-point line. The Ravens are at home. This game is in Baltimore. So you have to assume the betters are given three points to the Ravens. Ravens still would be favored even if you take that three points away. That's going to be a great game. I'm sure a lot of people in our listening area right now are looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one for sure and I think that's going to do it for us here Ben because we're running out of time it was great having you on the show thanks for coming in
0: yeah thank you guys so much for having me anytime you guys want to come you want me to come on I I love this me you and Adam could have some great conversations about why you Darvish won't win the Cy Young and (laughs) why LeBron's already better but no all jokes aside I really appreciate it and and, uh, and, I'd love to come on
1: and speaking of that Adam did send me a text mid show saying that he actually does think LeBron is the greatest basketball player of all time I'm
0: blown away I think I definitely him and I definitely need have that conversation but uh yeah everybody tune in to analytics association it's a great show these two know exactly what they're talking about and uh again i really appreciate you guys having me on. all right
1: thank you for coming on that's gonna do it for us here at the analytics association on kcou 88.1 fm we'll be on every monday at four so be sure to keep on listening that's when we'll be here thanks for listening analytics association i'm jack mcgrath with ben greenberger on kcou 88.1 fm
0: greeting earthlings We have now taken over your radio.